0: Hello guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. If you are new here, my name is Paris Prankiewicz, and I am the creator and host of the Crooked Illness podcast, where we get into all things health-related. The primary focus of the podcast within the umbrella of health related topics is mental health and mindset. I began Crooked Illness as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for starting Crooked Illness stems from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I decided to start Crooked Illness to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. I offer my perspective on the work I've done and how it inspired me to begin this podcast. Along with this perspective, I also speak about my personal experience with mental health and how I use those experiences to help educate, inspire, and motivate others. I really enjoy doing interviews and connecting with people who also love to discuss and learn more about mental health. If you would like to learn more, become a guest or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or to my email of crookedillness at gmail.com. One. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. As you can see from today's title, we are going to be getting into the connection between genetics and addiction. Today's episode will be all about the relationship between these two things. Here to help me discuss this topic today is a very important guest. We have Dr. Kenneth Blum here, who is an American scientist who is considered to be the father of psychiatric genetics. He has trained at the Institute of Behavioral Genetics at Colorado University at Boulder. Dr. Blum received his PhD in neuropharmacology from New York Medical College and is a graduate from Columbia University and New Jersey College of Medicine. He has published over 550 peer-reviewed articles articles, and written 17 books. In addition to this, he has been the recipient of many grants and awards, including a Lifetime Achievement in Addiction Medicine and the Presidential Award for Scientific Excellence. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Blum to the podcast.
1: Hello. Hello, everybody.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being here.
1: My pleasure.
0: Yes. So excited to have you on today. So I know I really wanted to ask you this. So I know that you are considered to be the father of psychiatric psychiatric genetics. So what inspired or interested you in getting into doing work in in this field?
1: Well, uh, I went to Columbia University and I got a degree in uh, pharmaceutical sciences. Mm -hmm. Then I got a master's degree at New Jersey College of Medicine and Medical Sciences. And then I got a PhD in Neuropharmacology. Then I worked uh, for four years uh, as a postdoctorate in the area of behavioral pharmacology. Then I went to Colorado University and did a special fellowship in genetics, but that was animal genetics. Mm. So, uh, you know, the entire scientific community from the late 60s all the way into 1990, were actually trying to find a genetic connection to mm-hmm. addiction. But no one actually found that genetic connection. So in 1987, uh, I decided to use a technique that was developed at Harvard. It's called restriction fragment length polymorphism
2: mm-hmm. it Sounds like
1: a, a drift flip, <laughs> and it sounds like a big word. But what it does, it allows you to go into the entire genome and pick out a particular gene that you want to associate with a disease. Mm. I don't want to go into all the details. Yeah. And seeing that, it was done in the field of Huntington disease, mm-hmm. you know, not 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 addiction or not mental health. But seeing that particular approach, I thought that might be a great way to find a gene connection for alcoholism.
2: Mm. And at
1: that time, I generated the interest of Dr. Ernest Noble, who is now deceased, who uh, was a former director of the National Institutes of Alcoholism and Alcohol Abuse. Mm. We came together in my lab, got a grant, and that generated the beginning of actually looking at a needle in a haystack. Wow. That's what we did. We happened to put together, in 1989, a blueprint that we called the Brain Reward Cascade. So we designed, with another individual from Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, Gerald Kaloski, a way of how the brain interacts into bringing about the proper amount of dopamine Mm -hmm. to be released to make you feel good and the reward center of the brain. So we put that all together, we had a blueprint. So we started out from gene to gene to gene to gene.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and, and we were fortunate that by the eighth trial, uh, we found the first link, was mm-hmm. in the dopamine D2 receptor gene uh, with the variant called A1. Yeah. And we did later latest studies to prove that if you carry that form, you have 30 to 40 percent that's dopamine d2 receptors in the brain
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is not a good thing Yeah, because i know
0: a lot of the stuff you because another thing you brought up when i talked to you before is about the deficiency in dopamine i know that you were really looking at that and kind of making it your the light, your lifelong mission to wow. help through your research design a better design better treatment options for people suffering with various addictions and really looking at that connection between genetics and addiction and can you kind of talk about because i know something that you you coined the phrase the term reward deficiency syndrome so can you talk a little bit about what that is and the connection between that and the topic of genetics and addiction
1: okay I try to say it to you with a little bit of a story, how's that? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the
1: story goes, when I was on the plane mm-hmm. in 1995, I was going to give a talk in Bowling Green, Kentucky at the university. And I said to myself, and this was five years, excuse me, yeah, five years after we found the dopamine connection
2: mm-hmm. genetically.
1: And we did a lot of work after that. And a lot of people did a lot of work.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I said, you know, what we see now is people going to meetings that have to do with endorphins or Mm -hmm. meetings that have to do with serotonin or dopamine or meetings that have to do with alcoholism or meetings that have to do with opioids or cocaine. Everything is separated. Mm -hmm. And knowing since the 70s that our labs showed the initial connection between alcohol and opioids, we knew there was a common mechanism a neurochemical mechanism. Mm-hmm. So when we looked at this, we said, there got to be overlap. And what's good for one may be good for the other. There may be some specifics. But why do we come up with a name that brings the entire field into one understanding of what people are going through?
2: Mm-hmm. And if you
1: know, there's substance abuse, addiction, and none substance abuse addiction Mm -hmm. or behavioral addictions. So why is the gambler so different from the opioid addict? Or maybe there is not that much different. So we put the thing together. And I remember on the plan, I was saying, is it reward deficiency? Is it reward hyperactivity? And I said, no, it's deficiency based on the genetics that we had of the past, mm-hmm. so I called it Reward Deficiency. Then I thought about, well, what is it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought about Autoimmune Deficiency Syndrome, AIDS. Mm. And I said, ah, oh, there it is,
2: yeah. Reward
1: Deficiency Syndrome, which is an umbrella for impulsive, compulsive, and, and other kinds of personality disorders, mm-hmm. linked together that leads the individual, because of low
2: dopamine, and to the
1: reward center to reach out and seek either drug or non-drug behavioral addictions mm. that that's
0: wow right. yeah so kind of looking so that term that you mentioned the umbrella term that really includes right. all of these different addictions that we think about so we think about gambling alcoholism drugs whatever addiction we're thinking about
1: addiction yeah all of yeah. it. shopping coffee. yeah
0: yeah, yeah, we've been
1: published on that, male Biden.
0: Oh, yeah. There's so, yeah, so many. Thikonoma.
1: I know. <laughs> skin pinking, all of that.
0: Yeah, all of that is linked to low dopamine.
1: That's what we believe. Low dopamine, yeah. And it's not that we believe that. What you have to understand, Paris, is we did a lot, a lot of work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: From the 70s all the way to 2020.
0: Wow show that. yeah yeah that all the research and everything kind of explains wow. that. And you also have another term that I want to talk about that um, I, I looked at here so you talk can you talk a little bit about what the genetic addiction risk score is that you developed and what does that measure?
1: Sure it's called gauze <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well so what happened since from 1990 when we did the original work with Ernie noble mm-hmm. into
2: 20,
1: 20- 14. So we know that from work from many, many laboratories across the globe, that it just isn't the DRD2 gene that is going to be the, the only gene displayed in, in, in terms of reward deficiency, have mm-hmm. heavy oral addiction. There's many genes about. Uh, in fact, uh, there's an individual by the name of Lee uh, who showed that there's a potential of fifteen hundred genes about, okay, wow. and then he reduced it to three hundred ninety-three, and you keep getting it reduced and reduced. So we decided that we would look at that blueprint that I told you,
2: mm-hmm. that, we
1: board, that we board, uh, the grammy board cascade, mm-hmm. and look at the major
2: pathways
1: in that system, and also the way the Neurotransmitters are in a sense cleared mm. from the synapse to either breaking down its molecular structure
2: mm-hmm. by
1: enzymes, okay, or it's reabsorbed back into the preneuron. So we use all those major systems the serotonergic system, the gabinergic system, the glutaminergic system the dopaminergic system and then the enzymes that destroy mm-hmm. the dopamine or serotonin that's called catecholamethyltransferase, monominoxidase in, in, the, in the mitochondria, and the transporter systems that take the dopamine or serotonin out of the synapse and puts it back into the premium to get reactivated.
2: Mm-hmm. So we knew
1: all of that so, the Gauss test
2: mm-hmm.
1: has to do with genes and risk variations
2: mm. that,
1: if you're born with, bring about low dopamine release or low dopamine function called high pole dopaminergia.
2: Mm. And the Gauss
1: test is a test that is now available to Genus Health LLC, which is a company I'm part of, mm-hmm. uh, that actually. Uh, has brought the test commercially so people can go ahead and utilize it and we can determine the actual genes no more guessing
2: Mm -hmm. now there's many
1: other genes that may be involved, but for that test we can determine the actual genes that cause low dopamine wow uh, and function
0: yeah
1: we could do it at birth by the way
0: wow
1: at birth if your child has a tendency to get addicted this is very important In pain clinics. You know, you take a 13 or 14 year old to play soccer. They got a fraction. They go to a pain clinic bank, they put them on uh, high opioids.
2: Mm. They
1: don't know whether he could be addicted to Mm. high opioids. We can now know that we could do the test and you can say, well, this person has low, medium, high uh, potential of being addicted to an opioid.
0: Wow.
1: And we can find that out. So this is a way of preventing even the opioid crisis, which is primarily due, of course, the pain doctors would love me, but a, a, lot, of, a lot of RX prescriptions, even mm-hmm. though the pharmaceutical companies are saying, no, 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 that's not the reason. Wow. Because it has a lot to do with it. So
0: that's, so that's amazing. The so this, the, the GARS genetic addiction risk score, that, that shows somebody the genes that are linked to low dopamine. So it exactly. actually identifies there, the genes. the other
1: ones, this is major
0: wow okay? yeah that's so
1: that and the genes
0: yeah so you can actually and i know i know you mentioned at birth so you can take a baby and is it a, so is it a blood test what no, kind of saliva. a
1: oh a saliva
0: terrible. okay yeah,
1: cell, well, yeah that's
0: cell. really cool because then because then you can yeah, see it's, the, it's, the
1: it's the non-invasive genes.
0: oh okay good <laughs> it's yeah it's good it's not invasive yeah that's yeah, yeah
1: non-invasive yeah no wow and that's what's really good and, and uh we think it has great utility as a prophylactic
2: mm-hmm.
1: in terms of getting people uh, onto high opioids. Now, in all due respect, the pain clinic docs are trying to do their best not to prescribe powerful opioids. Mm-hmm. This is a way that we can help. Uh, it reduces the
2: guessing and it yeah. makes it objective.
0: Yeah, because I know you, you mentioned that to me before is that you know when someone gets injured, They like really badly, really badly, or they have a major surgery. They're taking different medications that are supposed to help alleviate the pain. And then sometimes that person can get addicted to those medications or addicted to those substances that lead to issues with, with drug abuse. And I know that that's a, that's something that you were also, you mentioned to me before too, and, you know, doing research on that and studying that and also having this test, having this. The, the GARS that you mentioned, that, that's a saliva test that you can take and actually see, here are the genes that I have that are linked with low dopamine and actually and that showing could, that to people. And that
1: could give the, the physician mm-hmm. a, a, a kind of a upper power
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that he could, when he talks to an individual who may be in denial,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, your father or your mother died in this hospital,
2: Mm-hmm. You're doing
1: the same thing, oh, well, they're that, that different. This gives the physician an upper hand to sit down, either a parent, to sit down with the child, say, look, uh, we've got alcohol and drug abuse in our family. Here's what you test with you got to be careful.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: here are the reasons why you got to be careful. That, that really puts an individual in a different kind of box,
2: mm-hmm. because it
1: makes that individual believe, because there's something you, the ob- that objective that they can look at, mm-hmm. the DNA. And that helps in treatment plans, uh, and it helps the individual to remove guilt, shame, mm-hmm. remove denial, like any other disease, like diabetes. You got a problem. This is a molecular rearrangement of the brain. It yeah. has nothing, A lot of it has to do, of course, with the environment. There's always 50-50,
2: mm-hmm.
1: genetics and the environment. It doesn't mean that if you got this predisposition, you're going to become an out. Yes. Yeah. But the interaction with the environment, those two things, if you have the genetics and the mm-hmm. environment isn't that good, you got a problem. You got yeah. To kill. So that is why this is so important because the genetic addiction risk score absolutely can give an individual a better handle on what their brain looks like. It's a mirror into their brain.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. Cause I know that's, that's so helpful to know that, that, that there's something out there like that, that people can take advantage of and do this, the GAR saliva test to see here, yeah. here are the genes that I have that are predisposed to low dopamine levels and understanding that because um, like you mentioned before, it is, it is hard, especially if you're, if you're not in a good environment and you also have family history of substance abuse or things like that then it is it is not good it does become more challenging for that for that person at the time so it's very helpful to have this available so the person can see what's going on with them right it's really good so oh yeah Uh,
1: let me explain one more little thing okay yeah the environment is not to be considered just an environment.
2: Mm -hmm. environment
1: has what we call epigenetic Mm. influence on the expression of the genes. It don't change the DNA. Mm -hmm. It does interesting things to the messenger,
2: the Mm -hmm. RNA,
1: Okay, That if it's a poor environment, you may get an inhibition of genetic expression. Positive environment, you may get an enhancement of expression. And these terms are called methylation and deacetylation. And you know, tell anybody wants to know more. We can provide them with information. Mm -hmm. It's detailed. But the good news is that you can also use that concept of epigenetics to repair the outcome of the DNA predisposition. Mm -hmm. That's a very important thing I like to discuss.
0: Wow, yeah, so can, can you get into more of what epigenetics is? Just describe what is epigenetics.
1: Epigenetics is a, a way that the environment can influence the expression of genes mm. that are coded by DNA without affecting DNA. But it can go through one generation, two generations, and I think up to three generations. Without changing the DNA, but affecting the messenger RNA expression, which should be mm-hmm. transferred from generation to generation to generation. So, for example, you have an individual who, when he grows up, he's abused by his father or mother. Mm-hmm. That abuse is an environmental epigenetic expression, which, by the way, may be able to go through one generation, two, and three. That's why fathers may abuse their kids because they were abused.
2: Mm-hmm. So, it's not just
1: will or free will This mm-hmm. has to do with changes of the genetics
2: mm-hmm. in terms of
1: messenger so that's very important that, that you have to understand how important the environment
2: is mm-hmm. and
1: therefore one can use the environment to help affect the genetic predisposition
0: wow. that's
2: what I'd like to discuss with you.
0: yeah that's, that's really powerful using the environment to control the genetic yeah. predisposition predisposition like you mentioned because I know that you said, you know, even though you could be born and and have genes that are linked to addiction and different behaviors like that, that that doesn't mean that you are going to become addicted or different things like that. I mean, you know, and that's a that's a really a really powerful thing to talk about and get into because I feel like it's it's a it's a good message to communicate to people that just because you come from or you have genes that do have this predisposition for addiction, alcoholism, right. or whatever thing like that. That doesn't mean that you uh, are going to be that way as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. But you got to be careful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But
1: but uh, but, they, but the good news is, Paris, that we've also developed a solution that we believe
2: mm-hmm. is very
1: important to all of us. That's what I'd like to talk to you.
0: About. Yeah. Tell tell us what is it.
1: Okay. So over the years, from the beginning in the 1970s, -hmm. by 1976, we found out that there was a natural supplement called Mm D-phenylalanine, which could inhibit the intake of alcohol in animals that are genetically prone to drink. Wow. Now, that all involves a very complicated system that has to do with the endogenous opioid peptides in your brain. Mm-hmm. It increases those peptides in the brain that really allows you to get dopamine release. But I'm not going to go through all of that. <laughs> Over the years, we have developed precursors to the neurotransmitters of the brain to balance the neurotransmitters if they're out of whack. Wow! Okay? And we found ways to inhibit the role of those enzymes like chatechromythritransferase, oxidase, that destroy in neurotransmitters like dopamine in the brain. So what we've done over the years,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we have developed something called KB220 or KB220Z and we now call it pro-dopamine regulation. Okay. And this is very important because here's what we could do now. We can do the Gauss test we can see what genes are being, uh, let's say, dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And we can use this natural supplement, change the ingredients of the basic formula, OK, as a precision way of mm-hmm. surgically developing your own personalized medicine wow to your brain to balance dopamine, to bring about what we call dopamine homeostasis which means dopamine balance, dopamine regulation, Mm -hmm. and prevent low dopamine that leads to increased craving of all the RDS behaviors. And we think, and we've done it, by the way, we got many, many studies, there's 44 studies right now, clinical studies, double-blinded, triple-blinded, neuroimaging, all kinds of studies to prove that what we're doing seems correct.
2: Mm -hmm. And John G.
1: Udano was involved some of the studies which we interviewed before.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hello, John. And, um, and the interesting thing is that we now have a precise way of fixing your brain and balancing your dopamine for you that relates to your Goss test. Wow. You do the test, and that allows you to get a precision uh, dopamine balancer. And we think this is much better than what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. is using buprenorphine, mm-hmm. methadone, antieughs, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: composite, all in which actually blocks dopamine in the long term.
0: Wow! We got a way
1: of naturally balancing it, making it easier for people to take like a vitamin. Yeah, no side effects, fewer side effects, and gives you a uh, term of balance of dopamine. Of course, you gotta take it every day. Yeah. But it's like a vitamin. It's like diabetes. You gotta take the right medicine.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, this
1: is natural, and we got a precision. So it's called, it's called, generated therapy mm. for, for dopamine regulation.
0: That's okay. Right. Yeah, that's that's incredible to hear about that and the work that you've done to make that a reality. So, you know, if you could say, what, what is your, the biggest lesson that you've learned through the clinical experience that you've gathered working to understand the connection between genetics and addiction?
2: The
1: biggest lesson?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The biggest lesson <laughs> is that the field and the people that are about um, addiction medicine uh, at the top level. Mm -hmm. even through the APA or whatever, seem to feel that the easiest way to deal with this problem of low dopamine is to bring about harm reduction.
2: Mm.
1: It's to just give the buprenorphine, give the methadone, and make the people sort of not relapse because they're on the same problem that started with the same thing, even with a composite.
2: Yeah.
1: Things about dopamine. So, the biggest lesson is that the field has to realize, and I know Noah Volcker personally, the
2: mm-hmm. director
1: of neither. I know George Krug, the director of NIAA, a mm-hmm. punishment for Volcker. The point in the matter is that everybody in the field is trying to find out a way how to either upregulate, downregulate, or balance
2: dopamine.
1: Mm-hmm. We believe we have something now. That can help balance dopamine without going to buprenorphine and, and methadone, yeah. drugs like that. And, and right now, naltrexone is a substance mm-hmm. that is used to block craving only because of extinction.
2: Mm-hmm. It doesn't
1: do anything but interferes with the dopamine response. So you don't wow. get high. But naltrexone, the compliance is terrible. Okay. We show in study that if you put naltrexone with the prodobium regulator, the people that were, were was just maintained on naltrexone after being on methadone 18 to 30 years, in mm-hmm. 37 days relapsed. Yeah. When so you put naltrexone wow. with the prodobium regulator, that went to 262 days. Wow. So by putting naltrexone, which could affect the outcome of claiming for harm reduction. With the pro regulator, you got to know another way of, of bringing about a, a better, better solution, especially yeah. in the opioid
2: crisis.
0: Yeah, because I know it kind of seems like the one of the things that you mentioned too is like the biggest, the biggest takeaway here is that the the main focus of a lot of people is just to medicate the problem, right? So give them got medications. It. Here's to, you know take these medications and you'll be fine but the issue with that is that you know that could lead to addiction that could lead to more problems that could make things worse so exactly. i like how you describe that and talk about that and really bring attention to that and that a lot of people want to just prevent a relapse you know we want to just focus on you know right. get make you good for right now you know take the medications go to go day to your day. doctors yeah take it day by day but i like how your approach is more of looking at the problem specific to the person right because every wow. person has different things that they are predisposed to they have different things that they're dealing with or wow. you know come from different environments and i like how you a lot of the stuff that you talk about and the work that you've done is more specific to treating that individual and, the, and then working with their genes and how that's linked to, to issues with addiction that they've been dealing with instead of, you know, just here's a pill, you know, take it day by day. Don't, you know, try not to relapse, try to do these things to, to stay on the right path. But I think, that's, I think that's really important. And it's a good message to get that out there that you know, the stuff that you've done and with developing this GARS test to actually identify genes, you know, and especially, you know, when you have a newborn having being able to identify here are the genes that are linked to low dopamine. And then you also have this dopamine, um, the up dopamine regulator that you talked about that could actually fix that. Right.
1: The balance.
0: Yes. Yeah. And balance that out. And yeah. I think that's important because you said something about, you know, either you want to up dopamine, down dopamine, or balance it. And what, I think what you're doing is really great and getting that message out there.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, um, I think it has a lot of uh, potential
2: mm-hmm. for
1: the field, especially the people that want to, that are in recovery and they need mm-hmm. help. Uh, the idea is, you know, you got AA, and all the self-help groups,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: a good thing. It's a great thing, right? Yeah. But sometimes the people go there and their brain is in mm-hmm.
2: either
1: genetically or they've used drugs or whatever, or behaviors, and their brain is in balance.
2: Mm-hmm. We're
1: saying balance the brain, then you can deal with cognitive behavior therapy, mm-hmm. trauma therapy, all the things that can be used behaviorally
2: mm-hmm. to
1: help you stay. Uh, In terms of recovery,
2: Mm -hmm. let you
1: stay instead of white knuckle, Mm
2: -hmm. a little more
1: relaxed, a little more happier, a little more able to balance yourself. And yeah, is that Gina's Health has developed a system where you do the genetic test and then it tells you what particular product to take.
2: Wow,
1: all all done through a a cheek cell test. Yeah, cheek cell test.
0: Wow.
1: At a very young age.
0: Yeah. So you take that test, and it tells you which which medications or which things yeah, you take that have, would.
1: What we've done is to make it easy. We've developed um, six um, genetically programmed, uh, uh, semi-customized, we want to say, products that fit your particular neurotransmitter systems. Yeah. Or or metabolism that is being affected. To your genetics.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, if you could tell me, you know, to, or tell us just a little bit um, about the research that you've done to discover better treatment options for those suffering with various addictions.
1: Well, we've done a lot of work on alcoholism, okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to actually first developing the genetics of it, okay. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of work on using this pro-dopamine regulator over the years on alcohol craving and everything related to alcohol use disorder,
2: including
1: mm-hmm. binge drinking. We actually showed in animals. We've done this work at Howard University, with Marjorie Lewis's group at Howard University. We showed by using this pro-dopamine regulator, we can actually reduce binge drinking. Wow. Genetically bad animals for males and females. We get a wow. better experience of females than males. We, we've done all that. We've done work on stress in humans, for example,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where we use a galvanic skin resistance to give us an objective measure of stress. We looked at people that were either on alcohol or cocaine or opioids and went into treat, uh, treatment program, a residential treatment program. Mm. And
0: yeah.
1: Before they went, they go in, they got detoxified. And wow. the seventh day, to go into group. We measured the response of them going into group where they got very nervous. And we put a placebo, double-blinded, against the pro-dopamine regulator in humans. And we looked at carbonic skin resistance. Mm-hmm. To measure stress, we showed that the stress level was completely down, very down. Wow. We were given them the regulator. We've done work with that. We've done work with newer imaging studies mm-hmm. in heroin addicts. Abstinent, you know, for say two years, and we put them on full dopamine regulation. Yeah, and we showed how the brain actually thought about balance. Wow! And the in the area called the reward system,
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: called the nucleus accumbens and the cerebellum. And we show, by the way, the cerebellum is very involved in the craving behavior now. And we show that for one, the nucleus accumbens now. Has the dopamine that can work. Wow. And when there's too much activity in the cerebellum, that's reduced. You sure, a beautiful way of bringing about balance in the brain. And I can go on and on. And
0: yeah. On. Well, I think yeah. that's I think that's incredible.
1: Yeah. We did it with cocaine. Wow. We've we done it with benzodiazepines. We've done it with shopping, with hoarding, with food addiction. With, with wow. Just a variety of, of, of studies.
0: Wow, well, I think that I think that's so interesting that you've looked at all of those things and all of the those things connecting to addiction and you've been able to come up with this reward deficiency syndrome. Exactly. And then also link that to the GARS test where you can actually do that and then see, hey, you know, like what genes do I have that might be predisposed to addiction or what, what's going on with me. I like how the, the stuff that you've done, the work, the research, and everything that you've put together and put out there really helps people have a better understanding of addiction for them, right? For an individual. And right. I think that's awesome. And I'm, you know, I'm so glad that you could come on here today and really share your experiences and share a little bit about the work that you've done and things like that, because I think this is a very it's a very important topic to understand that connection between our genes and addiction and how that, how that works, what it looks like, what it means. And I'm just happy, uh, you know, that John could connect us so right. we John's can have great. this conversation. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, one more thing that might be interesting to your viewers.
2: Yeah. Right now,
1: we're living in COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So social distancing is a double-edged sword. Mm. Especially in recovery, people need to communicate the sponsors. They need to, you know, the hug and the feel and the connection. Mm -hmm. The human spirit Mm -hmm. is missing. Okay. Yeah. And Laura Volker has put out a report recently, and she said, you know, that certainly virtual uh, interactions like Zooming Mm -hmm. uh, with the family and the sponsors, it's all important. But yeah, here's the bad news. There's been an anecdotal report that between thirty and forty percent increase in opioid deaths. Wow. COVID nineteen.
2: Wow. There's a big
1: relapse problem. So there's a there's a tremendous concern
2: mm.
1: in the recovery field because of COVID nineteen of the yeah. social distancing uh, and the stress that has come. Because when you get stressed, what happens? The dopamine wow. goes down. <laughs> yeah. If you're in labor as a woman, they've measured this,
2: mm-hmm. that
1: dopamine is going down wow because you're in such stress. Yeah. But COVID is not a very good thing to have if you're in recovery. But wow. what we're saying is, that, hey, two things. One, you want to increase your immunity. Maybe your diet should help, right? Yeah. But in the pro-dopamine regulation, we got d Know what that does?
2: Mm.
1: Basically, endorphins. You know what that does? Increases your immunity response. So wow. not only does it reduce the uh, chance of craving, it has an increase in bringing about immunity response. Wow. So in COVID, it's really important, independent of what we're doing, independent of what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, you certain diet and some way of relieving stress, maybe to virtual interaction. Yeah. You know, and saying hello to your family and stuff like that could help. But, wow. But, but all of this fits now with COVID-19, which we pray is going to go, is, is
0: mm-hmm. going
1: to be defeated somehow.
0: Yeah. Right? Wow. Probably with <laughs> some
1: drugs, vaccines, antibodies, whatever. mm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, well, th- you know, thank you for sharing that because that's, that's especially important right now because we are living In this time, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We are in the middle of COVID nineteen, and I'm so happy that we could have this conversation. You could share all those tips, the advice, the work that you've done, and really just—it was great. It was great talking with you. It was great having the conversation we had before we did the interview, and I hope that you have a good birthday on Saturday because I know you. Yes, 81 years old on Saturday. I my
1: family and some business people. (laughs)
0: well i hope you have a good time and it was great it was really great talking to you and i really look forward to putting this episode out
1: thank you so much (laughs) all right bye
0: yeah of course bye dr blum
1: nice. nice.
0: (laughs) nice meeting you bye bye all right guys that is the end of this episode I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed creating it. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to talk about becoming a guest or to share your thoughts on this episode with me, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email to crookedillness at gmail.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram at crookedillness, or you can message me on my Facebook page at crookedillness as well. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day. And thank you so much for listening to Crooked Illness.